week's episode of Motley Fool Answers is brought to you by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage process into the 21st century with a fast, easy, and completely online process. Check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com slash fool. This is Motley Fool Answers. I'm Allison Southwick, and I'm joined, as always, by Robert Brokamp, personal finance expert here at The Motley Fool. I'm also joined, not as always, but today I am, by Seth Jason. Hello, Yay. Seth. Hi, Seth. I'm flexing. Cameras are on, right? <laughs> Don't miss it. <laughs> Seth is an analyst here at The Motley Fool and an advisor on Motley Fool's Hidden Gems newsletter. How long have you been at The Motley Fool? 12 years now? 12 years. I have to ask somebody, yeah. I guess. Well, Seth Jason is here because it's that magical time of year where decorative gourd and earnings season coincides, which means you can enjoy some delicious balance sheets along with that pumpkin spice latte. Earnings for share, net income, and nutmeg. What really matters? And what is the CEO really saying on that conference call? All that and more on this week's episode of Motley Fool Answers. It's time for Answers, Answers. And this week's question comes from Adrian. Adrian writes... Really enjoy your podcast, and I'm a big fan of Allison's. Bro's cool too, just not as cool as Allison. Insert Debbie Downer. Wah, wah, here. Sorry, bro. Anyway, I was wondering. Need more honk horns and (laughs) jingle bells and stuff on the table. We are our own jingle bells and we're going to go to the dollar store and and get you guys more more sound effects. We would use them. We would use those sound effects. We would. All right. Adrian writes, I was wondering about the foolish maxim of not allowing your trading costs to exceed 2% of your total transaction. How is this derived? Why 2% and not 1% or 3%? Bro, do you want to kick that off? Sure. Well, first off, Adrian, you are absolutely right. I'm nowhere as cool as Allison. It's true. true. And you were also right that the fool has long suggested that investors keep their commissions to 2% or less of their investment. So, if you're with a discount broker that charges $10 for a commission, you should invest at least $500 in that stock. That said, I couldn't really determine how we came up with this. <laughs> it's 2%. like eight glasses of water today. Somebody made it up at some point in time, <laughs> yeah, and everybody. Exactly. Uh, so, yeah, I asked around some old time fools. You know, Motley Fool's been around since 1993. So, um, there are some still some folks that have been around since then, and no one could really remember how we came up with it. I, mean, I think it was just sort of a rough rule of thumb. Um, And I found other articles on our site that actually suggest you keep it to 1%. So it is. You want as little as possible. Right, exactly. And it makes sense, right? I mean, the the more that your commissions take up of your investment, the more you're kind of starting behind the starting line. And you have, you know, your initial returns are going to be just enough to get you back to break even. So it makes sense. Yeah. And in fact, the the whole boggle approach and, and, random walk down Wall Street is predicated on, if you're not doing anything, your returns are absolutely determined by how much money you're giving away right. to your brokerage or your fund or whatever. The answer being, try not to give away anything if you can, because it's all money out of your pocket. Right. Exactly. So, the, the old 2% guideline, so it's not set in stone. Um, so, if you want to get started investing um, and you haven't yet accumulated enough cash to put in thousands of dollars, it's okay if your commission is you know, 3%, maybe even 4% yeah. of an investment, as long as you plan to hold on to it for years. Yeah. If you're day trading, that's not going to work out so well yeah. for you. Yeah, um, Any, And anything you give away like that has to, if you want it back, you've got to make that much in excess return. Right. So, yeah. And you've got the commission to buy it, and you have the commission to sell it on the other side, too. Um, so That said, it's a lot easier these days to pay much less than $10 for a commission, including even services where you don't have to pay a commission 
or even the big name brokerages, many of them will give you a certain number of free trades, whether it's on stocks or they'll let you trade exchange traded funds, ETFs, uh, without any commission. So it's pretty easy to keep that limited. Um, it is important to know that when you look at a broker and they say their commission is $7 or something, that, that's just for market orders for stocks. There are other types of orders, and we've talked about those previous episodes, like good deal canceled and limit, and those are usually higher. Mutual funds with some brokers, you actually have to pay for those, and those commissions are actually higher. So you want to make sure you're, if you like a certain mutual fund family, you're going with a broker, look, make sure those funds are commission free. Most, but not all, brokers actually allow dividend reinvestment for free, but some still charge commissions for that, which could really eat into your return. So you want to make sure that your dividend reinvestment is free as well. Um, and one thing that a lot of people don't think about when they have a taxable brokerage account, in other words, not an IRA, the commissions are actually, to a certain degree, tax deductible. So if you pay $10 to buy the stock and then $10 to sell it, you take those, that $20 off of your gain so you don't have to pay taxes on that. Thanks again to Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans for sponsoring today's episode. Fast, powerful, and completely online, Rocket Mortgage has taken all of the complicated, time-consuming parts of applying for a mortgage out of the equation. But maybe you enjoy searching through stacks of paper and hauling said stacks of paper to some nondescript office park. Yeah, that sounds like fun. But for those of you who like convenience and doing things with minimal contact with other human beings, you know who you are. Millennials. Rocket Mortgage <laughs> is for you. So, if you're looking to refinance your mortgage or buy a home, check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickandloans.com slash fool. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, and MLS, consumeraccess.org, number 3030. Sif Jason is a co-advisor on Motley Fool's Hidden Gems. He's a longtime fool, and he joins us today to help decode the quarterly earnings report. So I would describe you as someone with a low tolerance for BS. Can I say BS? Yeah, why not? Yeah, okay. So, with earnings season upon us, yeah, you are the perfect candidate to help us decipher what companies are really saying or not saying. Mm -hmm. So, I hope you think that's a compliment that I think you have a low BS meter. Yeah, yeah. You know, it it leads in any organization, it leads to some, you know, career limiting um, moves (laughs) from time to time. (laughs) But in general, you know, I feel proud of that. All right, so first off, bro, why is there an earnings season? What's a thing? I know it comes every three months. Right. After the earnings ripen. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So publicly traded companies have to report their earnings every quarter. So every three months, earnings come out, uh, and then usually the company issues a report. They might have a conference call, something like that. Most companies, their fiscal year follows the calendar year. Um, some don't. I mean, you know, the federal government doesn't begin its fiscal year till October first. But most companies do follow the ca- calendar year, which means four times a year, the majority of companies are, are issuing their earnings. So it's kind of a deluge of information to go through, right? And in our case, write about and analyze. Yeah. If we're going to decode and decipher an earnings report, we might as well look at one. And so let's take a look at how South Camp Industries did for the third quarter. Let's cut to Steve Broida with Full News Network. 
SoftCamp Industries missed analysts' expectations for third quarter earnings. Net income fell 5% to $1 million or 50 cents a share. Analysts expected $1.2 million or an earnings per share of 52 cents. Revenue fell 2% to $5 million. SoftCamp Industries also adjusted forward guidance, sending the stock spiraling in after hours. President and co-founder Robert Brokamp stated on a call with analysts that weather impacted sales this quarter. Brokamp also pointed to one-time charges for restructuring as it transitions facilities in New Hampshire from Lufa production to meet increasing demand for whiskey in the state. Overall, Brokamp was optimistic for growth in the long term. Dynamic, scale, disruption, synergy. These are words. Also, the cloud and social media. Okay, wow, that is really compelling stuff there. And uh, there's a lot to unpack. So let's take it from the top and just go sentence by sentence. What is South Camp Industries saying in this quarter's earnings report? South Camp Industries missed analysts' expectations for third quarter earnings. What does it actually mean to miss analysts' expectations? Well, usually there are, uh, everybody knows what the company's supposed to post in revenue or in earnings and profits. And that's because the bunch of analysts on Wall Street who talk to the company all the time and look at what the company says when they say, hey, we think we'll make between this much and this much, Uh, we'll sell between this much and this much. The analysts come up with estimates. There may be five or six, there may be three dozen. And uh, a company uh, like Thomson Reuters or S&P Capital IQ will take all those, put them all together, kind of strain out any differences that are one-offs, and then come up with an average. And so that average number is the thing that they will miss or beat. How much stock do you put in that? Oh, not no pun intended, but because yeah. <laughs> the stocks will move, a stock will move a lot. Move. Yeah, I mean, a lot of companies sandbag. Apple sandbagged, you know, for probably five years. It was it was always off by billions of dollars. In sandbag, uh, by meaning they come in, they uh, say oh, they're going to do poorly. We're going to do this much, they... knowing they would do much better. Uh-huh. The analysts would say, "All right, we think they'll do this much better," and then the number would be even better yet, and everyone would go, "Hooray!" Um, <laughs> Crushed it. So yeah, it depends. Uh, it depends to a large degree on how much uh, handholding the company is doing to get that uh, to get that number where they want it to be for maximum BSness. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's move on in the in the article. Net income fell 5% to $1 million or 50 cents a share. Analysts expected 1.2 million or an earnings per share of 52 cents. Revenue fell 2% to $5 million. Earnings per share, revenue per share, sales per share. What what's all this what's all this stuff? So, revenue most companies don't report revenue per share obviously, but um uh, earnings per share is what, you know, we get out of the stock uh, at the bottom line. So that's the the net profit divided by the number of fully diluted shares usually. So the revenues and the earnings are usually compared to the prior year's quarter because that's where it's more more comparable. Uh, Companies are seasonal uh, and a a lot of companies are going to do a ton of business around the holiday season and the companies. So those would be sort of retailers and companies like that. Companies that are producing the stuff that gets sold into the holiday season, their bigger quarters are going to be, you know, maybe the quarter before the holiday season when they're selling the stuff that's going Mm. to go into the stores. So in order to get the best comparison, you're usually looking at the prior year quarter. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, that is, that's the standard. I had a robot 
I'll call it a robot. It was an automated spreadsheet that I created at one time that actually used to write the whole article. I mean, it's fairly <laughs> complex. Yeah, it would grab all the data and it would come up with you know these sentences and do all the, com- the comparisons like that. And the reason I, I did that was you know the the robot wouldn't screw up the math ever like I might <laughs> if I were if I were doing it. Um, and uh, so in those numbers, you are also comparing to the estimates. So the analysts will have estimates on revenue and they'll have estimates on earnings per share. And so these are the numbers we're comparing. Moving on. SouthCamp Industries also adjusted forward guidance. What does this mean? The forward guidance is that thing we talked about Apple sandbagging that's saying, oh, we think next quarter we'll sell this much stuff. Not all companies do this. Companies in duress tend to stop doing this because they don't want to disappoint anyone anymore and they just don't know enough to do it. Most companies will give some idea what they think they're going to be selling over the next quarter and then maybe for the next year. That may be aspirational. Uh, In a lot of cases, they'll know much more because they maybe will have an order backlog uh, that is technically, it's not revenue, it's not deferred revenue yet, but it's firm or fairly firm uh, commitments to buy stuff in the future. So it depends on the company. Uh, and they have an idea what their costs are going to be going forward so they can predict earnings as well as sales. SouthCamp Industries also adjusted forward guidance, sending the stock spiraling in after hours. That's the thing that usually does it. Usually <laughs> screwing up on what you earn isn't such a big deal. Most people probably will have figured it out by by the time the earnings release comes out. Not that there aren't surprises, but loose lips uh, sink these ships usually before before the earnings report. What usually, in nervous times, makes the company stock you know, sink is when they say, well, we're not so sure we're gonna do well next quarter, then everyone goes, ah! Because what happens on Wall Street is when you draw a graph uh, predicting what the next year's performance is, it's always the last two points on the graph, and that's your that's your trend line. So something goes down, and oh my God, they're gonna go down, gonna forever. Go down forever! And then, yeah, and if it goes up by a big amount, yeah, they're gonna, we're all gonna be rich! <laughs> Tell us a little bit about after hours. So that's it. Oh, the after hours part. I don't pay attention to that. There's a very bad term there that I won't repeat here that people use for that, but it's basically uh, after hours trading is is thin. There's not a lot of volume, and uh, and so stocks can the prices can gyrate wildly after hours compared to what they would do during a, a normal time period when there's more volume. President and co-founder Robert Brokamp stated on a call with analysts that weather impacted sales this quarter. Excellent. We hear that. <laughs> and this is this is one thing. We're, we're going to have a drone program for investor relations uh, departments that continue to use impact in that way. <laughs> Had an impact? That's okay. Impacted? No just stop it. Uh, they mean affected, and they usually mean affected to the to the downside. Although right. they'll also say positively impacted, and you're going, what is wrong with you people? You need new jobs. Sorry. <laughs> Side rant. We should say that, that Jason is uh, uh, very big on grammar. Uh, yeah. Well, and, anyway, uh, anybody who reads anything understands that people who are decent at writing don't, don't write things this way, and I don't understand why investor relations departments do. <laughs> But they use a lot of excuses. Millennials again? We can go ahead. No, no, it's not. They've been doing this for the past ten years. It's yeah, it's people my age who who think they know more than they do. Imagine that. (laughs) Uh, But so excuses. You'll see weather as an excuse. Sometimes it's bogus. Sometimes it's completely reasonable. If there's a snowstorm that shuts down the East Coast, and you know you are 
following a company like one of the companies I follow and that I own, uh, Five Bolo. Um, a lot of stores on the East Coast. Well, probably that's going to take sales down now. To its credit, I think Five Below usually says something along the lines of, "We try to do, we try to not whine about the weather." <laughs> um, Brexit, you know, some of that stuff will matter. Currency fluctuations will matter a lot to some companies, depending on where they source their stuff, where they sell it. Uh, so uh, you want to look at some of these excuses. Some of them are perfectly valid some of the time, and sometimes it's complete BS. Like how often do you think a CEO is like, "Man, we had a brutal, brutal quarter," and then they're like, "Oh, Hurricane Matthew." Yes, we can. We Unfortunately, can, we probably. Can blame thank, that. thank goodness probably, there was a hurricane. Yeah, probably more often than we would like. But a lot of the, and it depends on the companies. A lot of the companies that I follow, you won't see that kind of nonsense. Or if they mention it, they'll say they'll say you know. But we realize we need to do well in any, in any climate, climate. There you go. <laughs> ProCamp also pointed to one-time charges for restructuring as it transitions facilities in New Hampshire from Lufa production to meet increasing demand for whiskey in the state. Inside I think, joke. I think whiskey and Lufa go well together. <laughs> you have no do, idea. Do, do, all the, do, all of, do all the viewers know that the Lufa is, is a, a vegetable and not a, and not a sea sponge? I didn't oh. even know that. It's, it's like a skeleton of a gourd. I learned that when I worked at Crabtree and Evelyn in the mall. <laughs> Times were tough back in the day. This is last year. Yeah. So really. uh, one-time charges. These are interesting because uh, sometimes they are one-time. So if a company is transitioning a major product line and they don't tend to do that very often, you're going to get varying costs, maybe from severance to, to get rid of some of the people there if they can't use them anymore, cost to, to shut down a plant or cost to move things. Those are, are valid one-time charges. And analysts will usually have already have an idea what those are going to be and have kind of netted them out of the estimates. And there'll be usually a sort of a pro forma uh, earnings number that nets that out. And you want to see if then those two comparable numbers match. Um, but there are other companies, uh, Terex being one there, you know, make cranes and tractors and things like that, that are sort of in a constant state of reinvention. And they have a lot of sort of restructuring one-time charges all the time. Well, a company like that, you want to look at these really as kind of continuous charges and 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 just put them in as a as a cost normally. Basically, it, basically, they're saying, yeah, we had these costs, but then don't worry, this never they're gonna not happen go, again. They're right? not gonna happen again. Yeah, yeah. But then for some of these companies, they just keep happening. They do keep happening at yeah. some. Yeah. Or can you think of any big offenders of this? Well, I'm not. This isn't even an offender. I mean, I, I would say, I mean. And reading calls from somebody like Terex or another large industrial that that is constantly having to reinvent itself. I don't know if they even call them one-time charges. They'll, they'll call them restructuring charges mm -hmm. and things. Um, I don't think anyone tries to game that too often anymore. I think most of the I don't. It's kind of unfortunate for somebody like me who's a fan of of sniffing out scumbags that you know it's <laughs> unfortunately the, the world's the becoming a better place I know, the, uh, yeah the, the chicanery seems to be ebbing at, at these days <laughs> at least in the uh, larger uh, publicly traded companies oh. i just don't see as much of it anymore that's nice that's good to hear yeah. all right let's move on in the article we're almost done overall brocamp was optimistic for growth in the long term dynamic scale disruption synergy these are words also the cloud and social media so yeah, then yeah. there's all that stuff and you, you'll get more of that if you if if you go to the uh, conference call transcripts, which you can get on a lot of uh, a lot of the financial news sites, we'll just have them in the news feed these days. 
And uh, again, some of that stuff will happen. Sometimes you do get synergy. If you tack one company <laughs> onto another one, you won't need both sales teams or you'll be able to transfer the process from one to the other and they'll get more efficient. At other times, that's just BS and all you've done is staple two companies together with the same cost structure and they don't, they could just as well have been separate and you're not gonna save any money that way. Scale, it's similar. Uh, you know, As companies grow, they tend, hopefully, to need uh, less cost per item of stuff that they sell, but that again doesn't always happen. Depends on what they're selling, and uh, yeah, and the social media. I don't think anybody makes that work to a large degree. <laughs> some of them do, though. I mean, some companies do a better job with e-commerce and social media and have made better transfer than others. Something is somebody like Under Armour's got a pretty good e-commerce platform. Probably Lululemon. These are all hidden gems companies I own. That's why and, and why I'm familiar with them. Uh, kind of blended bricks and mortar with online sales and social media uh, fairly well, or in Under Armour's case, even cloud by buying up a bunch of fitness uh, cloud, you know, tracking uh, mm. run and, and sports mm-hmm. tracking services, uh, which I was very skeptical of at first because it cost them a lot of money. Still not sure if it's worth it in the long run, but it's a decent opportunity for them to be much more informed about their core customer and to be able to reach out to them. So, earnings season kind of sounds like it's this dance between publicly traded companies and the analysts who follow mm-hmm. them, like the Wall Street analysts. And so, a little bit. Yeah. So, for like for an individual investor, what <laughs> what actually matters? Uh, I think what I look for is did they do the stuff they said that they were going to do. One or two quarters ago, are they are they making good efforts to do that? Uh, what are the things that have changed? Has the base story stayed the same? Is it the same as the thesis that I have for the company? Are they selling more and more stuff to more and more people? Uh, are they you know broadening their appeal? Are they trying to retreat to the high end uh, of the market, like say you know Apple selling you know basically the most expensive phones and computers for most companies that that signals that they're about to go down the tubes. It hasn't for Apple. Um, um, are they you know broadening their appeal? I think of somebody like Under Armour, who you know everyone thinks of the tight compression shirt on the football player, while they also sell tons of golf pants and you know camouflage hunting boots and soccer soccer boots I guess they call them soccer cleats Uh, a company that continues to expand Lululemon uh, going into men's uh, stuff so um, you want to you want to make sure to the best of your ability that what you're seeing in these numbers and in the comments reflects your expectations for the company and does it reflect what they said they were going to do and you know sometimes sometimes Things should change. Companies can't do the same thing all the time because there's competition out there. Uh, so you should have confidence from what you're seeing that they're trying to do what they said and that when they change it, it's because they have to uh, or they see a better opportunity to put capital, human and financial capital into a different place. Are there any earnings reports or calls that you think of as being particularly Memorable? Are there any? Is there any good one that comes to mind? Well, I used to follow a lot of scam companies, so those were always <laughs> memorable because they were just absolutely making stuff up completely. Uh, How so can I, you make stuff up when you have to file this when, like the SEC and stuff like you know, that? When you're a penny stock, well, they would file false reports too. I mean, when you're when you're a penny stock, these guys will do anything, um, which is why you don't touch them. I put out a call to some of the fellow investors for uh, for memorable 
earnings calls because like I said just, there's not as much BS as there was it, hmm. I feel like a few years ago and of course one that came back um, Tim Hansen you know put up a screenshot of the famous Enron uh, conference call and Enron for those who don't remember Enron was a very large scam and they claimed mm-hmm. they had all this great proprietary trading technology that allowed them to take advantage of energy and other markets and make a whole bunch of money and they never could really explain how they made money what the cash flows looked like and so uh, one particular call an analyst is hammering them on not having a balance sheet available and they're saying, well, we'll get that to you. And he said, but supposedly you've got this platform and you know every day where all your positions are. You're the only company out here who somehow also can't provide a balance sheet. And they put them off. And then after they get them off the line, CEO Jeff Skilling, who, who may have been in this room at one point in time or one of the other studios, just says, <laughs> And everyone heard it? It's in the transcript. <laughs> now, that's a pretty good sign. That, that something bad is going on. And of course, Enron was was just a building full of horrible, horrible thieves. Yeah, I love that. The idea that someone wants a balance sheet and yeah. you call them names. Yeah, that, that would not fly now. If anyone tried that now, everyone would be flashing back to this and and it would be a very, very serious cause for suspicion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's, you know, that's one good one. Um, the good news, I think it really is good news. I think there's just a lot less of it. Of course, we've also had a pretty buoyant, decent economy for about eight years. So right, yeah. You the, can't see this, who's naked right now. Yeah, exactly. Under, under the water. Yeah, we won't, see, we won't see who's not got their shorts on until the water drops again. Mm-hmm. And then it's going to be awesome. <laughs> it's going to be Because <laughs> everyone's having a, a selfie everywhere. with the, <laughs> You're not wearing shorts either? <laughs> Fish lips. What is the proper expression when you're doing a selfie with a pantsless CEO. Maybe the, maybe the listeners and, yeah. and viewers can let us know. <laughs> Go ahead and send us your Snapchat selfies with the proper facial expression that you use with a pantsless CEO. <laughs> us. I'm just taking over. That's I'm moving in here. Do you guys. It. Can do I it. sleep send under us. the desk? Absolutely. 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 Well, Seth, thank you for joining us. This has been a lot of fun. Um, I'm glad to hear, though, that, that things aren't as bad as they used to be, we hope. Although we you hope. still sound a little disappointed I'm a little about that. Disappointed. <laughs> I know. It used to be so easy for me to just find absolute scumbags. To... Uh... We should go into politics. There you go. Hey. I know. Well, that's right now. That's that's you're you're the horrible skeptic right now. If you if you if you say to people, you know, actually, shh, things aren't so bad right now. Pretty decent. What are you talking about? Yeah. The world's it's a hellhole. Yeah. Not really. Like, eh, Not really. Things are pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty sweet. And from a from a cynical guy like you, that I know. means something. Yeah. Before we go, we had some sad, sad news to deliver. And I'm gonna do my best not to tear up. But as we all know, I I tend to tear up. So I'm gonna let Bro do all of the talking. Bro, what's uh, what's the sad news we wanted to share with listeners? So my retirement newsletter service began in 2004, and one of the inaugural subscribers was a great guy named Bob Hassmiller. Um, he was just this generous, heartwarming guy, a self-taught financial planning expert, and always eager to answer people's questions on discussion boards. Led a fascinating life. He was a Vietnam veteran, got a purple heart for getting shot up a couple of times. 
Um, he got a PhD in higher ed administration, eventually was a CEO of a nonprofit organization. Very active in the Red Cross because when he went on, after he went on his first date with the woman who was to become his wife, his wife said, if you want a second date, you got to be involved in the Red Cross because at some point earlier in her life, her parents were taking a trip to Mexico. This is in the days before cell phones and stuff like that. There was an earthquake and the Red Cross helped her locate her parents. So she became active in the Red Cross and, and has continued to do so throughout her life and has won several awards. Bob wanted this second date, <laughs> got a certification from the Red Cross that he kept in his wallet for decades, eventually got married. Um, but what he, one of the things he became known for within the retirement service, and we've mentioned it here on the podcast, many is, times, is something he called a letter from your dead husband. And it came from when he and his wife Sue went on a very long hike, hours in New Mexico. And he sort of laid out everything that he had done for the family financially. How he's investing, how they're going to retire, safe withdrawal rates, all this stuff. And quickly figured out that she had no interest in all this stuff. So he started to think, well, what's going to happen if something happens to me? So he started writing a letter from your dead husband. And he updated it every year. And she came to expect, expect it and would even say to him, all right, I, I don't have the letter. You got to update the letter. But in all the times that we mentioned in early retirement, he, he wrote actually an article about how he did it and got input from other, from other people as well as Sue in the service. I never really thought, well, at some point Sue's going to have to read this soon. And unfortunately, uh, two weeks ago, Bob was killed in a bicycle accident. He was 70 years old, retired a few years previously, had just received his first Social Security check. His wife is absolutely devastated. Um, his kids and grandkids, and it's just been very sad. I definitely came to see him as a friend and a, and a mentor. He's been to Full HQ a few times. He took part in some projects we had at the Fool. He was just such a good guy. Mm -hmm. And I think Bob wouldn't want us to pass up this opportunity to say, listen, tragic things happen. You can't predict this stuff, but you can prepare for it. And I know his family is devastated, but I also know that it's going to be easier on them because of all the preparations that he did, because he wrote this thing called A Letter from Your Dead Husband that now I feel like we have to change the name of, because it was kind of a funny name. Everyone kind of laughed when I would bring it up in speeches and things like that, but now it's, it's just doesn't, it doesn't feel so funny, so I have to come up with another name for it. But So what we have done is actually we have published Bob's instructions on how to create this for your own family. And basically what it says is, if something, what you have to think about is, if something were to happen to you, would your family be able to locate everything that they need to, your accounts, insurance policies, professionals you should contact, um, how you've arranged various things. Uh, and we have published it, and you can get it at www.fool.com slash retirement slash letter and see Bob's uh, instructions on how to do that. Um, what yeah. can I say? We, we hear from so many listeners who who care about money. You care, I mean, if you're listening to this show, chances are you care about money. Otherwise, I don't know why you would listen to the show. Um, and they want their loved ones to care about money as well, but they just don't. Right. right, like they'll maybe they're in the car and they'll turn the podcast on and be like, "Hey, honey, listen to this," and they're 
loved one is just like, yeah, it's fine, whatever. And again, I try not to take that personally. Um, but this is so important then in, for all those people who've written us to be like, how you know, I've tried to get people I know to love money, but they don't. This is so important for them to do this, right. to write this letter, because they just don't know what could happen. And it's not just like, you know, a will, I want these things to go to these yeah. people. It's, yeah. um, go to these people for advice. And Bob, in his letter, had basically, this person is going to try to give you advice, but don't listen to him. <laughs> um, other people in their letters have put how they think the kids should split up the money when they get older. Or, these are the reasons we chose these people to raise our kids if something happens to us you might want to consider these people later on in life. All kinds of personal things that you can only really convey yeah. in a letter. And he also includes lots of things that are, I mean, very loving about his wife, too. Um, I don't know if Sue has opened this yet. I, this is very recent. Um, I do hope it's a good comfort to her, and um, I encourage everyone to do it. So, again, that's www.fool.com slash retirement slash letter. And our thoughts and prayers are with Bob's family. We've really lost a good fool, and um, the world has really lost a good man. So I have many thanks to deliver this episode. Of course, thanks to Seth Jason for joining us, and Steve Broido for his best impression of a news announcer. He did such a great job. He did, didn't he? I also want to thank Tony, who sent us a postcard from North Pole, Alaska, and Sriti, who sent a postcard of the Taj Mahal. What? That's pretty cool. I know. Uh, instead of reminding you of our email yet again, I'm just going to tell you to go to fool.com slash retirement slash letter and do what you know you need to do. The show is edited impactfully by Rick Engdahl. For Robert Brokamp, I'm Allison Southwick. Stay foolish, everybody. Stay foolish, everybody.